This episode is sponsored by Code Health. Code connects healthcare providers to the largest community of medical coding professionals in the country with over 4,600 domestic certified coders. As a single stop for all coding needs, Code's on-demand model has solved for daily staffing challenges and coding inefficiencies by allowing providers to access the right coder at the right time while gaining insights to better manage their coding operations. To learn more about Code, visit CodeHealth.com, that's K-O-D-E Health.com, or email Code directly at partnerships at CodeHealth.com. One last policy update for the year, today on HFMA's Voices in Healthcare Finance podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. When we recorded the year-end episode with the editorial team, there was so much good stuff that had to be left on the cutting room floor. So today, we're sharing a longer conversation between HFMA Senior Editor Nick Hutt and HFMA Policy Director Sean Stack about the state of the industry from a policy perspective. We'll be right back with that conversation. This is Sean Stack, HFMA's Director of Perspectives and Analysis, and I'm excited to tell you about our new bi-monthly webinar series designed specifically for hospital executives. HFMA will provide timely updates on the latest national healthcare reimbursement and revenue cycle regulations, policies, and trends. This series will equip you with the knowledge and insights you need to navigate the complex world of your healthcare business office. You can register now at hfma.org under webinars. Zooming out to a societal level, the pandemic receded more into the background for a lot of people this past year. Certainly providers and public health stakeholders are still keeping a wary eye on the potential for surges and new variants, but you didn't hear nearly as much about any huge waves of new cases. Last year at this time, we had the triple-demic of viruses causing havoc. So in that sense, this year has largely been a nice respite. Sean, what would you say your your 30,000-foot view of the state of the industry is as we close out 2023? Nick, I I mean, I think that that we're seeing definitely a better environment for clinical staffing than we were still very stressed. You know, staffing across the board in health systems is still pretty lean, continuing to focus on AI coming out of the year to replace some of the shortages in staff and offset some of the quality issues in billing and follow-up and denials. So a lot of challenges still there, but yes, even though operating on razor-thin margins, a little bit more stable than we were going into 2023 for certain. I still think folks are still somewhat concerned over the end of the pandemic Medicaid churn, administrative denials are still up in a lot of states, and we're still going to see some fallout even going into 2024 with Medicaid churn. So still a lot to do, but yes, much better than we were coming into the year, I think. Just to amplify a couple of the points you made, according to data from folks like Kaufman Hall and and Centellus Performance Solutions, margins actually dipped below zero in July, but otherwise, while they're not the type of margins we tended to see before the pandemic, they're better than what was seen, especially in 2022. Labor costs seem to be stabilizing. 
Although since apparently life can never be too easy in the realm of healthcare finance, supply costs and drug costs have been accelerating recently. I attended a talk at KPMG's Chicago office recently, and one of the uh, takeaways was that those costs may yet prove to be the type of structural systemic issue that labor costs have been. And the Medicaid unwinding, those redeterminations, quite frankly, have not gone very well, even probably worse than people were fearing they might going into them. Kaiser Family Foundation reported as of, I think the day before we recorded this segment, that more than 11 million people had seen their coverage terminated. And about 71% of those terminations happened because of procedural reasons, rather than because a person was actually determined to be ineligible. So it's just kind of been a mess, especially in some markets. And that has been driving up the uninsured population even that much more for hospitals, which has been challenging already, right? Yep. I remember something you called out, one of the glaring issues with the Medicare payment update for the inpatient prospective payment system this year was a nearly $950 million cut to uncompensated care payments. I remember you calling out the irony that that cut was based on projections that the uninsured rate would drop, which kind of boggles the mind with all of these Medicaid disenrollments happening. Transparency was a big story this year. We've talked quite a bit recently about the technical changes coming to hospital price transparency regulations in 2024. But in maybe even the bigger picture, I remember our colleague, Andrew Donahue, was on the podcast a few months back talking about how in Congress and in policy circles, transparency is kind of a tool not just to enhance the consumer financial experience and to promote consumerism, but maybe more importantly, to potentially provide a roadmap for scaling back healthcare expenditures. So in that sense, it's surely here to stay and, and likely will only become more prevalent moving forward. Sean, can you speak to either that general idea or, or just where you think transparency is heading next? Because there are various sets of regulations and they're not always aligned all that well. Yeah, so we just got our transparency toolkit from CMS last week. I'm still reading through that with a fine tooth comb. You know, there's a lot coming out in 2024 on enforcement on compliance publication of compliance follow-up with hospitals and providers. Still not very much at all on TIC, which is which is the payer insurance enforcement of enforcing the MRFs and um, compliance with transparency on the payer and insurer side. But I think that's going to be coming. You know, hospitals have their work laid out for them this coming year on bringing into compliance a very complex set of rules and a very, very complex schema that they need to be publishing and updating by July 1st of 2024. So lots to come here. I think a lot of confusion in the press, a lot of confusion with patient advocacy groups that we continue to see in the marketplace berating hospitals for non-complying when they actually they are because folks just can't wrap their heads around what compliance looks like and what the regulations really state. But I think we're moving in the right direction. I'm just really hoping this next year in transparency is going to be more cohesive and more working together to help the patients instead of pointing fingers, you know, at certain groups. So more to come here, but this is going to be a extremely busy year for price transparency. Absolutely. We'll be keeping an eye on that throughout the next year and beyond. 340B, in the upcoming weeks, the $9 billion in remedy payments will be doled out to hospitals. We've talked a lot about that. From a healthcare finance standpoint, that's absolutely been one of the biggest policy stories of the year. And you've called out CMS's 
you could say, silence on the question of remedies for Medicare Advantage plans to hospitals. Any hope of an update there in order to truly make hospitals whole? No, no hope at all. And, you know, yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> yeah, some hospitals are, you know, the 60% of their business is Medicare Advantage. So the Medicare fee for service payment or repayment back to the hospitals isn't even half of what they've lost in 340B dollars over the years. So again, CMS, Medicare has continued to remain silent in their oversight of Medicare Advantage plans. Unfortunately for us, for an association who really pushes for collaboration and for payers and providers to work together, this has just driven, you know, another wedge between payers and providers, and rightly so, because I agree the payers are really, the Medicare Advantage plans are not really on the hook to pay this money back. It is CMS's responsibility to make the providers whole. So very sad situation for me. I think this is probably the most frustrating issue for me in 2023. But I, yeah, I don't see much happening there, Nick, on making those hospitals whole from a regulatory side. We'll see. I mean, providers and payers do come to the table and work together well in many scenarios. So I'm, uh, I think there's still hope. We'll see some progress there individually, hospital by hospital, as they work with payers in the future. Very good. So something else we'll be covering in upcoming months. One other note about 340B, we've got to keep an eye on the possibility that the Medicare payment rate for 340B acquired drugs will be reduced and perhaps you know substantially so, not in 2024, but in subsequent years, because the litigation that required CMS to make these remedy payments did also describe how they could legally lower the payment rate as they did, albeit illegally, from 2018 through most of 2022. Sean, you just touched on in your previous comment, sort of the rise in the acrimony between providers and insurers, really across payer segments. That was manifested in several ways, including the preposterous backlog of arbitration cases under the No Surprises Act as well as in the increasing focus, including in Congress, on denials in Medicare Advantage. So between 340B, between contracting issues, which in part are emerging or, or becoming more highlighted from the greater availability of market-wide rates, thanks to price transparency, between all that and then all these denials, you're just seeing more examples of the type of divide between providers and payers that honestly can affect the functioning of the entire healthcare system. Absolutely, Nick. What, what is the state of that relationship as you see it, both from your own observations and, and feedback from HFMA members? Yeah, Nick, the contentious relationship between providers and some Medicare Advantage plans, I think, have risen to an all-time high. I've never seen it this bad. I've never seen this much talk about terminating contracts. It's really not a good situation. That, along with it, of course, as you said, really threatens access to care continuum of care when these contracts, when when the payers and the providers can't come to an agreement on egregious denials or egregious prior authorization issues. So that is something that is still boiling, to say the least. So that's going to be something that we want to watch very closely. Even in, you know, into 2024, Nick, as you've seen in the numbers and in the publications this year, as Medicare Advantage continues to grow, it is growing in exponential amounts. So fewer and fewer people are on traditional Medicare. So that's something that we're going to be watching and working with our members on all along the way in 2024. Yeah. In 2013, the share of enrollees who were in Medicare Advantage was, I think, 29%. And now 
yeah. 10 years later, it's gone over the uh, the 50% mark. So that's a great thing to be uh, monitoring in the upcoming months and, and years. Sean, any other thoughts or observations on, on just anything to do with healthcare policy? You know, we're still waiting on updates to the No Surprise Act on the advanced EOB to come out to really provide that true estimate of where the patient is with their co-insurance with their payer. So that is still kind of being worked on behind the scenes. We are very excited that we may see QR codes being added to insurance cards in 2024 as those standards are set and passed into regulations. So that will be interesting to watch because that will have a large impact on registration, on administrative burden for hospitals, and on a slew of other things down the road as we as that QR code gets developed on insurance cards more and more. So there are a few exciting things coming out, you know, in 2024. I think we'll see a lot more robust data validation, data governance, AI usage and revenue cycle in clinical care, which will be great for the quality of healthcare and administrative costs of healthcare. So I think we have a lot of exciting things coming up in 2024, along with, of course, everything that we're watching that seems to be on fire from 2023, right, Nick? No doubt. Yeah. And then I think it would be great if we come back in our next episode, maybe, and, and do a look ahead to 2024 and delve into some of those trends that you mentioned, because a lot of changes are coming, both from a regulatory standpoint, technologically speaking. And uh, yeah, it's both exciting and, and kind of a harrowing time Yep. if you're in healthcare administration. So until then, we want to thank all of you for listening throughout the year. And, and certainly for those of you in the healthcare industry, thank you for all that you do to serve your communities and a very happy holiday season to all of you. We thank Erica and Linda, as always, for making us sound better. In my case, anyway, you're almost a professional speaker, Sean, so you don't need, need it as much. But uh, I need as much help as I can get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't we all? But uh, thank you for all the conversation and the insight this year. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Nick. This has been fun, and, and I really look forward to 2024 and diving into more issues with you. Voices in Healthcare Finance is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association and written and hosted by me, Erica Grotto. Additional reporting is by Nick Hutt and Sean Stack. Sound editing is by Linda Chandler. Brad Dennison is the Director of Content. Our President and CEO is Ann Jordan. I am often referred as the common man, referred to as the common man, I really am.